Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phyllis Gove. And I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in this week for your normal host, who would not be on this podcast for because they were so offended, uh, famed IRA member Seamus O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> Yes, yes. He, TCI Bennigan's. Couldn't, couldn't be on here. Uh, so, so Adam, uh, yeah. today we have Adam B. Very on from uh, Variety. Yes. Um, I, what, what's your title? Forgive me. What is your title? Senior Entertainment Writer. Perfect. Um, so you came on uh, the 2009 Patreon yes. for A Single Man. Yes. And then you also came on for Being John Malkovich with your yes. friend Mike Harris yes. um, to talk about Being John Malkovich. And so I reached out to you early on and I was like, we're doing 92. Emily and I are doing 92. What are your what are your movies? And you gave me a whole list of them. I put your name next to a bunch of them. Um, Patriot Games was one of them. Yes. And I I'll be honest. I was a little surprised. I, I don't say that, that with judgment. Yeah. at all uh we'll obviously unpack this but i'm i'm curious why patriot games adam well first i just have to say i'm i'm very uh flattered that you've had me back on and i'm Please, of course frankly relieved that your co-host will probably not stumble into accidental homophobia the way that <laughs> co-host it's true did. it's true <laughs> it was uh, unintentional but yes he did step in twice it he did it twice uh it's true, it's true. Emily, I, I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll suffer the same fate. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, I just, um, I, well, first of all, I was thinking about like 1992 as a moment, as like its own filmmaking moment. Um, and, and one very different from 1999. Oh, yeah. 
and trying to think of like what movies to me really represent 1992 as both sort of the era of filmmaking and also like movies that just are not made anymore. And this is really on the top of that list. I mean, (laughs) like I rewatched it last night and I was reminded anew of like, oh, there are scenes where there are literally hundreds of people milling about all throughout this. And even before the pandemic, nobody was spending that much money on extras, let alone all of these different location shootings, hiring helicopters that are real helicopters and like just all kinds of things that are done to tell this story. Like all the shot, all the whole sequence on the highway just would not be done the same way. Like the, it's the speedboat chase at the end. I was just like, this shit's practical. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and Oops. and then so there's that element of it. Yeah. And then it is, I just think, a deeply satisfying, perfect little Swiss watch of a movie. I think it 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 knows exactly what kind of movie it is, and it accomplishes that pretty much exactly how it wants it like it knows exactly what it's going to deliver and it delivers it exactly right mm-hmm. and uh it it makes it sort of almost proves the point of harrison ford's stardom as an action star mm-hmm. which in the 80s other than indiana jones was still sort of like in quite like can he be like he was sure. making all these dramas yep. separate from indiana jones but he was not really hitting as an action star in the same way and then here comes this movie and sort of reinforces that idea. I mean, there's also, we can, I'm sure we'll get into it, that like yes. all the machinations about how this movie was oh made. Oh my God. It's, a, it's Clancy, amazing. Like sabotaging it. But um, I just think that like as a sort of representation of, of Harrison Ford's strengths mm-hmm. as a movie star mm-hmm. um, on every level, on the like the dreamy, I just want to look at this man for two hours level on the sort of like, the representation of a a kind of masculinity that he's so good at evincing of like strength, but like wounded strength and like, you know, what his, his impotent rage is like, no, but it's like, no one does it better than than him. I, so what I, what I wanted to sort of unpack here with this film, as we sort of start off, I'm like, so I saw this film in the theater. I was 12 when this movie came wow. out. And I remember seeing it in the theater um, because my mom always liked Harrison Ford. Um, I mean, who didn't like Harrison Ford? And there was sort of this like, oh, it's his new franchisey thing. And he's, you know, fighting bad guys and whatever. And I assumed that she didn't think there was anything that I couldn't see. And quite frankly, there really wasn't. Like, it, it's, if anything, it's, it's kind of... Um, it's a pretty lo-fi action movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. which which also speaks to that sort of this period we're in in '92, where effects aren't a hundred percent, like CG effects aren't a hundred percent there, and they obviously will become the main attraction literally next year with Jurassic yeah. Park, and that'll all change. But so there. It's I I tried to put myself back into my 12 year old body sitting in the theater. And I was just like, I must have been bored by this movie at 12. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a pretty talky, 
techno political thriller um about a uh about the ira and uh, something i imagine i knew nothing about at 12 so like i yeah. just didn't really even understand the conflicts that were probably the, yeah. the sort of you know uh so it it, it is interesting and this kind of comes to my bigger question. And we sort of, t- we tapped into this a little bit, Emily, at the end of our Candyman episode that preceded this with Roxana, but because obviously those two go hand in hand. Um, my, the Tom Clancy of it all. I, oh. I would love to hear, Adam, your feelings on the Tom Clancy verse and how I, we hey, are where hey, we are. I looked this up hmm. online. It's called the Ryan verse. Oops, my apologies. <laughs> egg all over my face um i, I am not a, i've never i've never read a single tom clancy book sure. it, it um i could just i think into it it was not going to be my vibe my yes. dad had read them and uh and i it just was i don't think it was going to be for me mm-hmm. um i like all three of these like 90s jack ryan movies so uh, hunt for uh, october hunt for october Patriot games, games clear and present danger, danger. Grand Prison Danger is where you start to see, yeah. like it. It's sort of working. A, it, the what it wants to be and what it actually is are kind of at cross purposes. Yeah. But, um, but I still I think they. For one thing, they are enormously topical. They are sort of representations of a very po- a moment in politics, global politics that again you just don't get now no one makes movies about global politics today at least at this scale um so there's so that i i and that is all clancy but what's interesting is that when clancy who is you know a (laughs) uh, a titan of industry at this time yeah well yeah yeah he's right wing like people were saying that like from from the get-go when it gets filtered through the sort of hollywoodization it's a sort of interesting amalgamation of two different very sensibilities sensibilities that for the first two movies, especially I think work really well um, where they've where like the, the attempts to reboot Jack Ryan in this century have three never times. quite worked for me. I, you know, I, I've seen all three. I've seen oh, wow. the, I saw the Ben Affleck movie, some of all I saw the, the Chris Pine movie, and I've watched some of, the yeah. the the Amazon series with um, Krasinski, John Krasinski. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them really work. They don't. They they just they are either too much like this is for red state dads, like the I think the Amazon show very much, or they just are like they don't they want to be just a generic action spy movie they don't want to be a jack ryan situation yeah like that the 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 politics of clear and present danger the movie and of whatever that i don't remember the name of the some of all fears some of all fears yeah sorry is the yes some of all fears is ben Ben affleck but what's the the name of the um oh uh recruit uh something recruit jack ryan like fucking shadow recruit shadow recruit I was going to say ghost recruit. I was like, I was so close. So close. Um, They they, they just, they like, they don't, they don't make any sense. Either they they don't fit into the current political, geopolitical in a meaningful way. And so they don't really feel like Jack Ryan movies. And then you also got Without Remorse, we should just say, which was the Amazon Michael B. Jordan thing, which came out 
during oh, the pandemic, yeah. which was but that's like fun. not Jack Ryan, right? That's it's not like Jack a Ryan. different. That's it's, like a it's different... Jack Ryan adjacent, though. He knows Jack Ryan. The character he plays knows Jack Ryan. Oh, okay, okay. So it's the it's it's Same the Tortellis <laughs> to Jack <laughs> Ryan's Cheers. Exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. Yeah. Great. No, I. Uh, um, I like what I like about Tom Clancy. Mm. Like, is that his name? I don't like. I don't actually. I've never read a book by him. I don't know if I like. But what I like about Tom Clancy's a brand name yeah. is that he's so associated with 80s and 90s geopolitics and specifically like late Cold War. Once you got past the collapse of the Soviet Union, he kind of like was lost without a gear to shift to. Now his name is just sort of slapped on video games. Yeah. And they're all about like post-apocalyptic scenarios, but they're like presented with like this veneer of like, well, of course, this is what happens when this fictional country collapses and causes a domino effect in the Middle East. And then all of the countries turn on each other and there's a nuclear war. Anyway, now you have to go kill a bunch of civilians somewhere. And it's just like, you've played the games. Am I correct? You, you... I have played some of the games. Okay. There's a really, uh, God, what's the one that I loved so much. I played so much of it. Just, there just like, like a ghost Legion or something like that. I mean, there's so many of them. There's something <laughs> called the division, which people got very upset about. I'm going to, there, there's this game shadow something. Yes. I don't know. Uh, fuck. Yeah. Hold on. Let me, you're let me like yeah. skulking around and do it's really, it's a really fun game. It's Tom Clancy's something uh, ghost recon. Maybe. Yes. Ghost recon. That is exactly yeah. what it is. I, I really love that game. That's, so, that's my contribution. My, my, my question to both of you, as I watched this film and did, you know, a cursory amount of research on the character of Jack Ryan. And the thing that kind of made my head hurt is that like, he's an analyst. He's a pencil pusher. He's not even supposed to be in the field. And yet he, we've turned this, quite frankly, like kind of nerdy guy with a lanyard uh, into an action hero. And it does feel a little bit like uh, a, a, a round peg in a square hole a little bit. And, and is, you know what I mean? But isn't the that first- just Indiana Jones? Isn't that just Indiana Jones? Like, I'm also thinking about like like Robert yeah. Langdon from Dan Brown. There's I feel this... like Indiana Jones. Yeah. No, Indiana right, Jones is right. like the inverse of what Jack Ryan is. Indiana Jones is a guy who's built for adventure, who tries to make himself into a, a right. professor, but he's always drawn back into the field. Where it feels like the first, like I feel like Hunt for October and Patriot right. Games do a a really good job of making Jack feel like he is just a sort of nerdy dude who finds himself forced into action-based situations. I think the, um, the, you know, the way that the, I looked up the way that the book ends in Patriot games and it's very different, very different. Yeah. Um, and much more, I think, true to the idea of him being an analyst who's not yeah. really a field guy. Whereas the idea that, the way that Patriot Games ends in the movie is much more like he's in at that point, he is like a full blown action hero and he needs an action hero ending. And it, it is this sort of this thing that happens with especially book adaptations where the need for it to be a very specific kind of entertainment supersedes all other considerations. Yeah. And so like this idea that the audience is just not going to feel satisfied unless there's a, visceral exciting uh action-based confrontation between our hero and our villain where the villain clearly and definitively dies is uh 
you know, that like yeah. every studio exec is like, you obviously are doing this right. In the book, that doesn't happen. Um, the, I don't think he even dies. Sean Miller, I don't think dies. He gets captured. Well, this, so I tried to read Tom Clancy a couple times when I was a kid. <laughs> For this podcast, for no, for the this is this podcast. is now Phil and Emily's you knew Tom Clancy cast. You you knew that we were going to be doing this podcast as a kid, and you tried. yes, yes, and I was like, I want to read a twelve hundred page tome that talks about loading a gun over and over and over again, and the various types of bullets and what magazines look like, and I mean, it it, it is. I understand uh, who those books are for, right? They're for. Uh, right-leaning dads that want to read all sorts of techno babble about like boats and guns and planes and shit like that. Like and my wife and my wife and she was my 13. apologies and Libby and Libby as well. So I remember because I do think as a kid in the sort of early to mid nineties, there were sort of two authors that wrote books of that length: Tom Clancy and Stephen King. King, yeah. and, and and the and and neither of which had an editor apparently uh and their books were just doorstops and i remember i bought it might have been without remorse for all i know i don't really remember but i remember i bought one of the tom clancy books as a kid and i can't imagine i got more than 100 pages into it because i was so dulled by the attention to detail because just it was it just was not a world that i was particularly interested in i bring all this up just to say that like there is sort of this like high techness that exists within the Clancy books that isn't necessarily transferred particularly well in the early nineties, because I almost feel like movie tech isn't there yet. Like I feel almost as though some of our fears might not be a good movie, but like the casting of Ben Affleck makes more sense. His youth makes sense. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Harrison Ford being in his fifties as an analyst and sort of the the level that he's at is a little weird. I mean, Alec Baldwin was, we'll get into that whole thing. But this is all just to say that, like, in the early 2000s, it felt like movie technology and Tom Clancy technology finally kind of coalesced into something that made sense. They just were never able to actually capitalize on it, if that makes sense. I see yeah. that. I, I do remember... Um, I, I don't know if I saw the movie in the, uh, Patriot Games in the theater, but I yeah. do remember when it came out, there was a lot of talk about the satellite-based raid yep. sequence yep. because it was, I think, for a lot of people, mm -hmm. the first time they were ever brought made wise to the the fact that that is that is something a that thing, would, yeah. like if that's a thing that you yeah. could do, and. You know, certainly, I I I got a really good chuckle out of the. Uh, can you zoom in? Can you zoom in? Can you can you enhance this up? Enhance, up? enhance, like enhance it, please. <laughs> and it's like that's not how that works. But um, but I did it, it. It was sort of interesting how quaint it feels now. Yes. Um. At the same time, the morality of that sequence still really is yeah. very clear and. I think as resonant to me today as it was and perhaps even more with drone warfare being the way that we do everything than well, and I would also even in 92. Yeah. I would also say too, I a hundred percent agree with you. I feel like there's two things that stayed with me as a kid that, that, that all the night vision stuff at the end, 
like all that stuff yeah. really stayed people, with people me. people fucking into night vision at this point in time like people i was gonna say maybe this vision. is maybe this is like a response to silence of the lambs maybe but like silence of the lambs maybe. is maybe too close to it but also yeah. like yeah people just were like you can see things at night <laughs> <laughs> i mean there was that but then i think you know to, to piggyback on what you're saying adam um i couldn't help this time watching that that footage um and thinking of zero dark 30 um and and thinking about that sort of stuff and how i imagine watching this in 92 not to mention the fact that like you know you got the rock war you got all that sort of stuff that's all kind of still in the in the ether um so all of that must have been very potent i imagine to audiences at the time as well absolutely i think zero Dark 30 is in some ways the movie that feels closest to a Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan movie yeah. of the last 20 years, even yeah. including the Jack Ryan movies to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm in a little, a little bit of context for listeners that might not have seen Patriot Games. Uh, when former CIA agent Jack Ryan, played by Harrison Ford, hampers an IRA terrorist attack in London, he kills one of the terrorists. The dead man's brother, another member of the group named Sean Miller, played by Sean Bean, is arrested but quickly escapes. Vowing revenge against Ryan, Miller travels to the United States where he forces Ryan's wife, played by Ann Archer, and daughter, played by Thor Birch, into a car accident that badly injures them. This convinces Ryan to rejoin the CIA in order to track down Miller. Patriot Games opened on June 5th, 1992 against Sister Act, Lethal Weapon 3, Far and Away, and Scene no man and the mighty ducks Holy shit. <laughs> different Just, time what a what an interesting array of movies <laughs> happening in theaters at the exact same time it would go on to make 178 million dollars on a 45 million dollar budget it's got 74 percent on rotten tomatoes from critics 72 from audiences roger ebert gave the film two and a half stars and said you don't expect a tom clancy movie to end with people <laughs> tracking each other around a darkened house followed by a gun battle in t- involving two speedboats one of them on fire on a dark and stormy night i haven't read clancy's patriot games and for all i know this movie is faithful to that book but on the basis of the hunt for october which i have read i expected this one to be a little less a little more cerebral and without the indiana jones ending Patriot Games has at least some virtues in the season of soft porn masquerading as hard thrillers uh, of being about subjects more interesting than the character's <laughs> sex lives. Uh, the high-tech stuff is absorbing. Harrison Ford once again demonstrates what a solid, convincing actor he is, and there's a good supporting cast from Archer, Thora Birch, and the Ryan's Precocious, as the Ryan's Precocious daughter, and the irreplaceable James Fox as a British cabinet member. But, uh, but at the end, when a character is leaping into a burning speedboat in choppy seas, I was wondering if this is exactly what Tom Clancy had in mind. What do you Can think I? about that, Emily? Yeah. Just take a moment to Please. say, uh, Roger Ebert praising Harrison Ford as an actor there. I think Harrison Ford, underrated actor. I really, we're recording this a few days after the Oscars. I really just want to call him out. He, perfect delivery of everything, everywhere. everywhere. Exact right pause. Everybody's cheering all at once. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Nailed it. Nailed it. I was like, I'm, I'm in, Harrison. Thank you. I'm here to collect my Oscar. I, you know... So I do want I want to unpack Harrison Ford for a second here because the yep. the irony is that we only talked about Harrison Ford once on uh, that, I apologize that's wrong twice we talked about him uh, for Indiana Jones Last Crusade on our eighty nine Patreon and we talked about him on uh, our Random Hearts episode a movie that no one should ever have, have to watch um, which came out in nineteen ninety nine um, Harrison Ford obviously has a fascinating career. And I think this movie hits at a fascinating time for him because, as you mentioned up top, 
you know, 80s action hero Blade Runner, Return of, Jedi, uh, Return of the Jedi, Temple of Doom. But then, you know, he does Witness, he does Mosquito Coast, Frantic, those three movies in a row as sort of a way of saying, like, I'm not just an action hero. But none of those movies, really, uh, Witness was a bit of a hit. But Frantic and Mosquito Coast, not so much. He does Working Girl as well in 88. Then he's got Last Crusade in 89, Presumed Innocent in 90, regarding Henry Patriot Games. And then right after this, you've got The Fugitive. I feel like this movie and The Fugitive definitely speak to each other. Like there is a everyman quality to him in Patriot Games that I really felt. The way he fights, he feels like he's older. He feels like a real guy who's sort of, you know, on the other side of 50. And The Fugitive, I think, doubles down on that in his straight up masterpiece because it really understands how to weaponize that. But this movie is definitely toying with those things too. I think so too. I think that um, the, you know, he, it's interesting that he chose to do this movie because uh, presumed innocent and regarding Henry were both successes. They performed well. So it wasn't like he was at that point hurting to be a bigger star, but I read a quote with him that, where of him where he's apparently said at the time something like i had been a guy on in an office for a lot and i feel like i had to punch somebody in my next movie <laughs> and it's like sure, sure. He's, like from a commercial <laughs> standpoint he's there's no need from but from a like star maintenance standpoint yeah. i can sort of see his point and um he seems to be people seem to like him the most when he's sort of vaguely angry and wants and is like trying to make something happen. Get off you know, my plane. You know. Get off my plane. Uh and so I uh and and what I said earlier is it's very true. I think that this movie makes incredible use of his best qualities as a star. So it, you know, I think that um what's interesting to me also is uh that there's a there's a thing that happens in clear and present danger where he he sort of represents like good upstanding moralism in a totally corrupted government um that and that's what i meant by the movie seems to be sort of cross purposes with each other um in this he is like the government is as effective and as functional as he is. And so it, he doesn't have to carry the burden of being our representation of what we want a man in that position to be. He can just be the guy in the situation. And I think that that wears on him so much better when he has to be sort of a symbol, even I, I, I like air force one. I feel like that that movie is as often operates in quotation marks. Yes. Um, it's a silly movie. It's a little silly. Um, and what? No. <laughs> I thought it was a documentary. Yeah. yeah. Glenn Close, VP uh, of this exactly. country. Yeah. Um, where, where and where, like in Patriot Games, it is an enormously heightened situation that the book mm-hmm. is even more heightened for. And I want to, I actually want to get into the the Royals aspect of it. When, at first, oh yeah, at, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a bit because I have a rant uh, sure. that I've been saving up. Um, <laughs> the uh, but I think one of the reasons why I think this movie is so effective is that 
it it's he's just the guy he's not a symbol even though he's being used as a movie star mm-hmm. he's allowed to play the the uh, the situation instead of being a symbol so emily what are your thoughts on on your husband harrison ford and and uh and his career around this time or in general i hate that this podcast is now emily is horny for men of the 90s but i am is the thing (laughs) no i like i love harrison ford you know um a lot of these like titans of 80s 90s movies because i didn't get to watch a lot of movies growing up i I don't have the emotional attachment to them that people do but i got to see all the indiana jones movies you know i got to see a number of his famous 90s movies fugitive was very formative for me um as was air force one a perfect movie that there's nothing wrong with um but (laughs) there's something about him that is like simultaneously deeply committed to everything he's doing and you buy him intensely, but also you can see like, he's got like just a, just a 1% of him is wondering what's at craft services in every movie. It's amazing. And he's great. And it's just like, I think that's key to his appeal. There's like some actors who they're just dialed in and that's why you love them. Harrison Ford kind of feels like, what if you just randomly, what if you were a middle-aged dad and somebody was like, Hey, you're a movie star now. And you're like, cool. And like they, you didn't really have to modulate yourself. You just showed up. You just like, but then he's got the charisma that carries him through. It's just, he's such a compelling guy. And we were talking earlier about Jack Ryan, just being a nerdy analyst. And listen, if I lived in the DC area and I was on like Tinder and I met like a, 50-something single dad nerdy analyst who looked like Harrison Ford. And he was just like, yeah, you know, I I, uh, I work for the CIA. I have the, my one vice, if you're, we're dating, I have my Settlers of Catan night every Thursday. That's important to me. I would, like, You'd give him down. my number instantly. Yeah. I don't know how Tinder works. I'm married. I'm just yeah. assuming. Emily, <laughs> Emily, that is one of the best Harrison Ford impressions I've ever heard. One of the fun things, one of the fun things about about doing voice training as a trans woman is that you get impressions of a bunch of (laughs) random male actors. I had a really great Brian Cox for a while and then I lost it. But evidently I have a good Harrison Ford. So the Harrison Ford thing, I think, is interesting to me, just in the sense that I think if you asked him, do you care about any of your roles? Like, do do they mean anything to you? I think the only one he cares about is Indiana Jones. I think it's the only one that he actually like gives a shit about. Everyone that I've ever talked to who's interviewed him, and this is evident in every interview he's basically yeah. ever gave, is that he sees himself very much as a blue collar worker. You know, he, you know, he, insofar as that, like, he's huh. there to do a craft. A little, he's a little bit like, you know, a carpenter in that he mm-hmm. was a carpenter, he was a and carpenter. he's there, he's there to service the script, he, yeah. he's there to, you know, service the audience. And that, and he, so he sees himself as a sort of in this service industry. So he's not, he, he's, it's not like he's, doesn't think that he makes art or anything, but I don't think he, I, I I would say that if I would be surprised if there were a lot of quotes of him talking about being an artist, I think that he sees himself as a, a guy, a guy who's there to do a job and um, you know, he cares about Indiana Jones. He didn't care about Han Solo until he cared about Han Solo. 
and um, to care about us. Uh, exactly. But I think that by and large, going to what Emily was saying about this sort of one percent of him thinking about craft services, he's he's not, and this is also part of his appeal. I think he's not sort of wound up his own ass about his his ability to act, and so it makes him so much more grounded and and relatable in that way because you're not ever thinking about how impressed he is with the fact that he's like doing an incredible job at the scene he's just very present i think there was a time when and i don't necessarily know that he was ever chasing an oscar because i don't know that that's necessarily something he cares about but i do think that that period that i mentioned earlier of sort of of a frantic and mosquito coast and witness and like trying to show his bona fides a little bit more as a you know what i mean and then i think something sort of happened i I mean obviously don't i don't know this for a fact but if you look at his filmography you know there's kind of a moment when it's like you know he's taking paychecks and he's making firewall and hollywood homicide and he's just like you know whatever and i do feel like and i don't know i'm sure you guys know this but I'll, i'll say it again uh he was offered the the michael douglas role in traffic um Mm -hmm. and uh you know he had thoughts on the on the script and some changes he wanted to make to it and this that and whatever and ultimately they didn't all kind of get on the same page and he dropped out of the project and i kind of feel like that could have been the key to a interesting third act in harrison ford's career and i think that you know I don't know what the reasons were. I'm sure it wasn't political. I'm sure that there was any number of things that he just, you know, either didn't feel comfortable talking about or didn't know if the movie was going to work or who knows what. But, you know, that moment in, you know, I guess it would probably fall somewhere between 99 and 2000 where that movie happens and he's not there. You kind of wonder whether or not that was kind of the moment. I I do wonder, you know, in that there's that moment in traffic where, Michael Douglas goes into the sort of the the uh, the bowels of the city to find his daughter, yep. and if that had been Harrison Ford, it would have just that see those scenes would have felt different. Yep, you would not have felt as desperate, and you would not have been as worried about whether that guy was going to get out of there alive. Right. Right. And I think that that and one of the th- other things that Harrison Ford is sort of almost contradictorily very good at is being aware of his own stardom and what what he's bringing to the performance and not just as an actor but as a presence and so i do wonder if that might have been part of it i don't know but that's it's i hadn't i yeah it's a little bit of a sliding door moment for him but sorry emily yeah no no i i was thinking about um there are two times in my life where it has felt like hollywood was ready to give harrison ford an oscar and the first is Morning Glory, where it really felt like <laughs> if that movie, like when that movie yes. was coming up, the hype around it was like Harrison Ford's going to do comedy again. He hasn't really done it since Working Girl yep. in, a, in this sort of zone. Mm-hmm. He's going to waltz away with the supporting actor Oscar. Doesn't happen. Um, twenty When Blade Runner 2049 came out and like that got movie. the reviews. He's amazing in that movie. If that movie had been a hit and if he had like done the bare minimum of going on the campaign circuit he absolutely would have won the oscar for that movie like it just i, I, I would... totally agree with you and he showed I, the fuck up for that movie too i mean yeah. he I, really acted as, as I, I also think that when he played branch ricky in 42 oh right mm-hmm. 
that was it, that was such an un Harrison Forty performance. He actually did a thing. He did a thing. <laughs> he did a thing, uh, and he did it effectively. He like was committed yeah. to it. It wasn't like it was like I don't know about this thing. It was like I was into the thing. Um, I think that they again, if he had if he had campaigned, it might have he might have gotten the support. I mean, I think that that movie also just in general was not well served by the awards season no. year, but, but it's also do, it was a little bit of a middle of the road movie too like it, it wasn't you know what i mean it had yeah. some special qualities to it i don't mean to suggest that it was you know a b it was like a b plus maybe an a minus i'm you know but. i think uh, uh, like lots of actors have gotten supporting acting nominations oh for sure for sure for, for b minuses and c pluses yeah, so but, like i but I, I see what you're saying I wouldn't say it's a B plus, but it's a B, and then you've made the up and down line to start making the plus. That's where that <laughs> movie falls. Um, I I actually I have this weird counterfactual where mm-hmm. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard this rumor a number of times that like he was one of the people they had in mind for John Ford in the Fablemans, and I think they cast the sense. right person for that role. But I think if Harrison Ford is in that role, I think he does get an Oscar nomination. And then we get a whole season of people being like Harrison Ford and Kei Kwan. They're in the same category. <laughs> it would have like been this, so annoying. This alternate universe is interesting. I don't yeah. know that like, I mean, the reality is that David Lynch is fantastic in it, mm-hmm. but you're, you're, you also never forget that it's David Lynch. So I guess yeah. ultimately, you know what I mean? It's like, whatever. You wouldn't forget I mean, it's I Harrison Ford. And... I think that what happens there is you get the cuteness of it being Spielberg ending this movie yeah. about himself yeah. with Harrison Ford, you know? And like, I think it, to some degree it's just fan casting, but also, I don't know. I think it would have been fun. I think it would have been That'd great. Be and then we would have had a whole month of thing of you know just every publication being like there's these two people oh oh, i'm sorry a whole six months of every publication being like (laughs) and like a me writing a thing where the headlines like can you believe these two have met again (laughs) i i do think it is it is interesting that i mean the morning glory thing is interesting because i remember there was a lot of hype around that movie and this is also kind of funny because earlier today i recorded an episode on game night we're talking about rachel mcadams and morning glory and all of that but I do think that had Morning Glory been closer to a James L. Brooks movie, right, and and been like a little bit more substantive and a little less kind of frothy, um, even quite frankly, and I don't mean an even to qualify, but like Nancy Myers or something along those lines, I think that there's a good chance he probably could have got a nomination from it, but I think ultimately it's just a little bit too disposable. It's, it's a little too cute. It's a little too rom-commy for its own good. And ultimately that sort of holds it back. But I mean, he's had, he's, he's a fascinating, I mean, I'm just looking here at like Cowboys and Aliens and, you know, uh, Age of Adeline. And it's just like, just lots. He, he works, the guy works, but I just don't know that he actually cares that much. I think my I think my point is if Harrison Ford wanted an Oscar, he could win one in five seconds by just like going yes, in yes. a movie by like a PTA or someone who's like sure. at that level of auteur, sure. taking a small part, do you know, putting in his level best, submitting himself to whatever the process is, and then just going to like five events across <laughs> award season, he would he would just mop the floor with, with everyone. If people want to give this man an Oscar in a way they didn't want to give Stallone an Oscar, and he just doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. That's true. That's true. You know, looking at, I'm looking at his, uh, I'm looking at his filmography. Mm -hmm. And from 2002 to 2008, so over six years, he made 
only four movies. K-19, The Widowmaker, Hollywood Homicide, yikes, Firewall, yikes, Yikes. and Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, yikes. Yikes. Um, that is that is absolutely a B, and then you've made the line for for to me you've made the line for a plus movie. I love I I kind of love that movie. Crystal Skull. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in the same from 2017 mm-hmm. to 2024, yep. you made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Blade Runner 2049, Secret Life of Pets 2. Love that. <laughs> that the his one scene in Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Yikes! But where he rolls out of bed unshaven and yeah. says like ten lines of battle. The Call of the Wild. That movie that I think would have been more of a thing if it had not been if there hadn't been a pandemic. Uh, would it with that CG dog? That dog looked so computer generated. Anyway, yeah, that's well, true. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which yes. we'll see, and then. So, well, it may, it may be it may be six. It may not be seven. Um, he's yeah. definitely in Captain America and the New World Order, which is also just blows my mind that he's about to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's going to start shooting it in like a month. Um, and then Thunderbolts. People think he's going to be in Thunderbolts, but I but Marvel will not actually uh, uh, commit to, yeah. to confirming I, that. I, he, it it is. I mean, listen, I love Harrison Ford. He's so immensely watchable. There, there is something so, and I do think it's what you, what you're both saying about how he feels um, just checked out enough that it allows you in a little bit. Like you're able to sort of see the strings just a little and it keeps it all kind of feeling um, not silly. I, I don't know how to describe like watching this movie watching patriot games and seeing like the the fight he has with uh the the guy in the andover i think uh sweatshirt who tries to kill him yeah. who's like 30 years younger than him right and you're never for a second really believe that harrison ford could beat up this guy but like there's this tussle and you kind of you you just the way he throws a punch he throws a punch like no one else he yeah. throws a punch with like his entire body there's just something so um lovable about him i don't know what else to say he feels like a real guy he feels like your dad i don't know it is a special thing and you know i i I don't know i i i like him in in romantic movies i think he's great in working girl i think he's you know i even think he's pretty good in the sabrina remake um you know no (laughs) i wish you guys could have seen adam's face he did not agree with the sabrina thoughts I, I I agree with Adam in this case. Yeah. You don't you don't buy him as a as a bogey type? No. No. What I do buy him is what I do buy him as is Shia LaBeouf's father. Like that's a thing that's important to me to understand. No. Sure. So this movie, um, Adam, you sort of hinted at this, but I wanna kind of talk a little bit about uh the legal uh scuffle that this film sort of had in its way to the screen it seemed as though there was sort of this moment when abc wanted to make a tv movie of it in 87 um and then paramount claimed that because of their adaptation of hunt for october that they owned the rights to the jack ryan character there was just all this like weird sort of machinations going on behind the screen and then on top of all of this it seemed as though i mean if you listen to alec baldwin and 
maybe don't. I don't know. Alec Baldwin, there's a lot of questions to be asked. But Alec Baldwin hints at the fact that they wanted him out of the role because Harrison had started to sort of suss it out and seemed as though he was interested in it. So there was this whole, like, Alec Baldwin was... He was contracted to play a role in Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway. So they pushed up the production of present of Patriot Games so that he couldn't be in the role and all sorts of, I don't know, Hollywood. Uh, I don't think they, I think that, I don't think that Paramount wanted him to play Jack Ryan anymore. I think that, that they, um, Alec Baldwin sort of basically claimed that there, there was this movie that, that was supposed to happen that Harrison Ford was going to do for Paramount that fell okay. through because of the the uh, economy tanking in 90. Okay. And, and Alec Baldwin claimed, not naming Harrison Ford by name, but yes. all but, all but, saying that because of that, Paramount wanted to make good with Harrison Ford, who was a much, much, much bigger star than yes. Alec Baldwin at the time and to this day. And, um, and so, you know, that won the day. And I just think that Paramount was like looked at we could have Harrison Ford or we could have Alec Baldwin. Let's go with Harrison Ford. Um, and I think that this movie would just feel differently if it, if it was Alec Baldwin, I don't know if it would be better or worse. I'm not sure. I think that you would, you, you know, I would be kind of interested to sort of play that thought experiment out a little bit. It would be hilarious to me if Gates McFadden got to continue playing Kathy Ryan as a you know as also as a Brit in in uh-huh. and in a uh, Hunt for an October she's playing her British and mm-hmm. so I think she would have to I guess maintain that it's just it's just sort of like also an interesting sort of what if for that actor's career. yeah it's I mean Paramount clearly you know pays a lot of money for a three picture deal for Harrison Ford to play Jack Ryan two movies are only made with him so yeah. they don't they don't actually fulfill the third film in the contract um hard to say why clinton present danger did quite well there's there's a there's an i don't don't know if you read this but there's Mm. a an entertainment weekly story that's fascinating on a lot of levels from on a journalism level as as much as anything that came out when clear and present danger was released Mm -hmm. that got really granular into a lot of the sort of harrison ford style parts of it sure that said that Ford was only sign, signing deals to make one of these movies at a time, which contradicts the reports that he had signed this yeah. three-picture deal. So I don't, like, I don't know where the sort of, huh. like, how you, how you square that circle, but right. it, it's it, it's interesting, like... No, that is really interesting. Yeah, how that all sort of it's, fell together. Yeah. It's also, like, Hunt for Red October, huge hit. Mm-hmm. This is a big hit. Clear and Present Danger, also a hit, but they're yeah. tailing off. Like, they're making a little less money with mm-hmm. everything. No, they're, they're not. Really? Uh, globally, Clear and Present Danger made the most. Okay. I had looked, I thought I'd looked that up. And, and Which is it. ironic yeah. since Clear, for Present, Clear and Present Danger is the most uh, sort of North America centric. Like, it's not even particularly international, right? Isn't that all about the drug trade in, in Mexico? In Mexico and I think in Colombia. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. It's um it Clear and Present Danger got like weirdly good reviews. It got some Oscar it nominations. It did. It's like uh yeah. um I yeah, I don't know. I think it is also that Tom Clancy was a huge pain in the ass to work with. Um he just <laughs> yeah. complained about everything. Yeah. And I also think the frisson you get that we've sort of talked about, which is Tom Clancy writing these right-ish novels, yes. but like 
Hollywood being able to adapt them in a way where they could say, where they could basically say, well, you know, global geopolitics is complicated. And then your dad would nod solemnly and say, yes, it is. Like, that was a thing that you could do at this point in time sure. that very quickly you stop being able to do. Mm-hmm. And like, when you're trying to adapt Clancy's Cold War books for the post Cold War era, like you kind of, you get into a space where you're working with an author who doesn't want any changes made to his books, but you have to make changes to make them make sense for the present day. I think, I, I think to my brain, it sort of makes sense why they stopped and why they tried the hard reboot, you know, in 2002. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, it is interesting, first of all, that again, from what I read and I completely believe what you were saying, Adam, from this EW article, but it says that Ford signed a $9 million three picture contract. That's pretty low. $9 million for three pictures seems pretty low to me, but again, it's 92. So that's probably money. Yeah. Probably but 20 yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 I highlight it was, uh, this story was written by the late Bruce Fretz. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like, talk about things that don't happen anymore. The amount of access that he got and the amount of like, how sure. just like, like no bullshit unvarnished quotes he got from everybody about what a pain in the ass clear and present danger was to make. Um, it's astonishing to read. It's all on the UW site, which is also rare because yeah. as a former Entertainment Weekly writer myself, a lot of the stuff I wrote there does not exist in any form online anymore. Um, that's not the rant, by the way, that I wanted to go on. Um, but what what was very what became very clear reading that story was it like Tom Clancy was an all-time nightmare and it just was there was just no there first of all there's no way forward because they didn't have the rights to any of his other books Mm -hmm. so they had to renegotiate with him before they were going to get anything else so that was hurdle number one hurdle number two was his other books none of them were as quite like the sum of all fears was that sort of next logical one and they, you know, they blow up the Super Bowl, which had apparently just happened in a different movie. And so, um, you know, it's, I think it's, even if there was like a ready-made book to go through, and even if Paramount had somehow magically negotiated to get Tom Clancy on board, it also reads very clear that like Harrison was like, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I don't need to do it, this anymore. This is too Yeah, much. it's, I mean, you, when you look at where sort of Clear and Present Danger is 94, which is, I mean, two years later, he, he literally, Patriot Games 92, Fugitive 93, Clear and Present Danger 94, Sabrina 95. I mean, this guy is like got a movie out basically every year for the better part of a decade. It's pretty crazy, over a decade. It is pretty insane. And I'm sure he was just fucking tired and was like, I don't need this in my life. The Tom Clancy thing is interesting too, because- as I'm sure you guys read, he made such a stink about Patriot Games. He was he was very uh, uh, loud and vocal about his thoughts about it. And then uh, they showed him a cut. Basically, so apparently, like, Brenda Tartikoff, ironically, who is running Paramount at the time, um, 
met Clancy to show him a rough cut of the film, assuage concerns enough to guarantee that he would work with the studio again. Like at this point, Tom Clancy was ready to just like burn this bridge, which is pretty insane. But he, and then apparently he said something along the lines of during production, he asked his name to be taken off the film. He complained that the final attack scene was unrealistic, that he had not been shown any rushes. And he said he was not sure that a movie would get made of clear and present danger because quote unquote, I think Patriot games will turn out so bad. This is this is a total tangent, but I'm interested. Mm. Are there authors who command this level of respect within Hollywood these days? Like, I mean, JK, the, oh, yeah, J.K. J.K. Rowling like burned like yeah, yeah, no, that, burned yeah. herself in effigy, but, but like she, she was kind of the last one. one. Yeah, she's burned herself in effigy, but but she still commands. Like, they're still yeah. going to want to make more of the oh, Harry yeah. Potter. Like, you know, on like. I cannot believe it, but uh, but they yeah. she still commands a great deal of power over there. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so. I, yeah, and, and it's um, and yet like the thing is, they sort of have to do everything they can to pretend that Harry Potter doesn't emerge from her, even though they're like putting her name in credits and everything. <laughs> yeah, which is like yeah. obviously its own situation. But yeah, she's kind of the last one. Like you look at kind of the big mega selling author right now is Colleen Hoover and she writes romance and romances. Hollywood has a weird checkered history with that anyway, but like you can't imagine her getting into a similar situation as Tom Clancy, John Grisham, Stephen King, Michael Crichton, sort of those four Titans of the eighties and nineties. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because what this made me think of in terms of how outspoken uh, Tom Clancy was at the time was the big stink that Anne Rice made about interview with the vampire when it was in production. Right. Um, that you know that movie was ninety four. She was very vocal about how she did not think Tom put on an ad. Ad. She but put out a full put... page ad, and then she put out another full page ad afterwards. Yeah. But she puts out a full page ad, basically being like, "This is terrible. Uh, it should not be Tom Cruise. What the fuck is going on?" But I don't have the. Obviously, she didn't have legal ramifications, so she just made it a PR stint essentially, um, and then ultimately eats her words and says he's great and. You know, the movie is obviously a big hit and, and he is great in the film, but that's the only person that I can think of that actually really tried. This is also obviously pre-internet, right? So it's like there really is no way to kind of corral your fans. In the I way think that, that there's this is too much of a tangent, I think, to dive down too much into. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if there's a sort of micro niche version of this now where mm-hmm. um, like a lot of authors have have cultivated really dedicated but very narrow casted readerships and i think that if there were any adaptations of those books that the author wasn't happy with that and if that author raised a stink about it i agree with that that those like rapidly on very online fandoms could then make a big like could make problems but at the scale of a Tom Clancy, no. I think that Rowling is the last, for sure. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the person that comes to mind uh, is someone you guys might not even... Leah Bardugo, who does the Shadow and Bone books, um, has obviously a very, you know, dedicated fan base. And I think that the equivalent to something you were talking about, Adam, would be if she did not like the direction that her Netflix, you know, the Netflix adaptation of her show was going in, she could make a stink online and, and it could be, and, you know, I, I, I interviewed her for the first season and, and the, and the, uh, the showrunner, and they made a lot of very radical structural changes to, to that adaptation. And uh, it's also not to get too granular yeah. on yeah. the guys, not to do this movie, but, but she, they, they, they very smartly kind of 
brought her into the fold mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and made her part of that process to mm -hmm. to sort of mitigate that issue yeah it's it, it is it's just it is interesting because you know one of the many things that I love about this miniseries that we're doing on 92 is I keep trying to put my brain into a 1992 headspace. And it is fascinating to think about the power that was wielded in different ways, because quite frankly, technology, you know, the internet didn't exist. And they're just, you, um, you were really at the behest of magazine articles and, you know, reading the trades and reading these kind of things that obviously now don't have nearly the power because uh, truth is uh, not a thing anymore, apparently. But this is all just to say, I do think that this movie, one of the big things that they changed about this book is something I'm teeing you up here, Adam, for I think your, your Royals rant, which is that in the novel, the assassination attempt was made on the Prince of Wales and the many members of the British Royal family. Um, and they appeared in the book. Uh, they were replaced by fictitious characters in the screenplay. Prince Charles was replaced by Lord Holmes, a non-existent cousin of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. Do you have thoughts on this, uh, Adam? Well, I, the the incident itself feels like it's inspired by two events that really happened in the 1970s. One is the assassination of Lord Mountbatten, um, which in which his uh, yacht was ex was blown up with him and a lot of his family on it. Um, and the other was the attempted kidnapping of Princess Anne. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, my rant is that anybody who's watched The Crown yes. uh, kn knows that the, that show did recreate the assassination of Lord Mountbatten. But for reasons that remain utterly inexplicable to me they did not include the attempted kidnapping of princess anne in which when the guy got in the car and said get out princess anne said reportedly not bloody likely or something to that effect and basically like was in a standoff with him that like I I read, you know, anybody who's a fan of The Crown, you read ahead on Wikipedia or whatever to sort of learn what's happening. And when I came across that story, I was like, I cannot wait yeah, I can't believe to see this. The actress they had playing that role is wonderful, Incredible. was yeah. wonderful for seasons three and four, which mm -hmm. is when it would have fallen into. Mm -hmm. And they didn't do it for, I don't understand why. I don't, I, I, I am, I am a, I like, it is, I will never be over it, I think, in a, in, in a small way. It's just, 
It's inexplicable. And it, it is came, bizarre. Like, watching this movie, I again yeah. was reminded that the crowd didn't do it. Yeah, I don't I don't fully I mean, listen, I understand them creating these fictionalized characters. I think it was obviously for the best. I think that they, you know, felt in this adaptation. I can't speak to the crown, obviously. I don't I don't know. But I also just kind can't of Can't you though? Can't you though? You're you're Canadian. You're Canadian. You you have the queen on your money. We yeah. Have, yeah, that's that's the only allegiance we have to her though, it seems. But <laughs> do I, you have, I Do you have the king on your money now? Uh, do you we now will have... we will soon have the king on our money. Wow. Why do, let me tell to, you, why do you have to Canada's do that? Canada's not excited about it. Listen, we just put old racists on our money. Why do you <laughs> have to why do you have to have the king on your money? Listen, it's a whole thing. I so I, I guess my question to you guys, because I'm I am not particularly well versed in um IRA, you know, history and the Irish sort of uh their their um issues with the Brits and all of that. Um this movie goes out of its way to create a faction, a sort of terrorist faction outside of the IRA to sort of be this, you know, um, off the books. They're so crazy. The IRA doesn't want anything to do with them type thing. Um, is that a thing? Does that exist? I'm assuming it does. I don't know. I, okay. th- I mean, like the, the troubles were resolved yes pretty soon after this movie came out uh weirdly enough oh, that's that's true and that's true. so i know this from watching dairy girls <laughs> <laughs> um and so i don't know i mean i do like it's interesting to me that this movie pretends like the assassination on lord mountbatten didn't happen yes correct. um because that you know, and that, and it, and it had, you know, it was like at the very end of the seventies uh, when that, when that assassination happened. That I, I do know. I also, you know, what I think the movie does effectively, mm-hmm. in a general sense, if not in a sense of like, I have no idea how realistic it was or not to the particulars of the troubles and how the IRA and Sinn Fein operated. Mm-hmm. But I was. It's it, this is also sort of an interesting thing about the transmutation of adapting a guy who's like an ultra white ring asshole into a feature film that has to be like accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. It sort of almost upends this. What I was I reviews I read of Patriot Games said that um, the the uh, the uh, Northern Ireland terrorists come off as like like total caricatures. Like that Clancy has zero empathy for them. And so they come off as like creatures, not really even like mm-hmm. human. And um, the movie, I think, does a really good job of getting under the skin of what's driving their actions. It, it like there was early on, I was weirdly reminded of the series Andor um, because mm-hmm. Andor sort of, takes the sort of revolutionary's perspective and like the scene where Polly Walker walks into the rare bookstore and has the co- like coded conversation is very similar to scenes that are like that in Andor. And so it's like, it was sort of jarring to be like, well, in that show, I'm in on the revolutionary side in this show. <laughs> this, these are bad guys. What? Right. Um, 
P.S. I had no idea that was Polly Walker until I, I like the yeah. end credits, and I was like, "What?" She Pretty crazy. About an interesting career, but I, um, I so I do think that the the movie does a a really thoughtful job of explicating what's driving their extremism yes. in in shorthand. Like it's very it it does not get into the nitty gritty of it at all, let alone the sort of the history of it mm-hmm. you have an appreciation for where they're coming from in a way that I, I gather the book just never did. Yeah. Emily. I, I do think like everything you're saying is true. And especially compared to a book I've never read, which knowing Tom Clancy, I imagine was as bad as everybody said. it was. I also just want to note that Richard Harris plays a man named Patty O'Neill who <laughs> uh, is, you know, has a very thick accent. He does. And like, I'm, I don't think he's playing a caricature at all. Like he's playing a real character, but there is an element of it where he he does kind of feel, it does kind of feel like this movie is constantly on the verge of turning into like a stereotype fest in a weird way. Yeah. Even though it never it never quite does. I think a lot of that is just Sean Bean has like a natural gravitas to him. But yeah, every time Richard, Richard Harris is on screen, I'm terrified that it's just going to like turn into a bad accent. Fest. Well, he's got this hair thing going on. Yeah. As Richard <laughs> Harris does where he looks like a leprechaun. Like they he looks like leprechaun hair. He looks like Darby O'Gill from Darby yes. O'Gill and the Little People. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious um, if if you uh, to hear your thoughts on this, Adam, because this uh, has to do with uh, variety. I don't oh. know if you know this story. Um, do you know this what I'm about to? I know, about? I know. Okay. So Paramount yanked all their advertising out of variety when one of the magazine's film critics, Joseph McBride, called the film, quote unquote, fascistic, blatantly anti-Irish, a right-wing cartoon. So Variety's editor at the time, Peter Bart, privately sided with Paramount's boycott, calling McBride unprofessional. Bart was then subsequently embarrassed when his letter criticizing one of his reviewers and supporting studio censorship was leaked to the press. Then the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, National Society of Film Critics, publicly lambasted Bart for his dismaying treatment of one of its members of the staff, saying the question is not whether any responsible critic is right or wrong, but whether any responsible critic must be muted so as to not offend an advertiser or bruise a handful of tender egos. Um, An interesting little tussle uh, in the early 90s. Um, Do you have thoughts on it? (laughs) Without upsetting your I, I, your, your like, current employer, I, I need a moment. I think what I would say is, first yeah. of all, I don't that mean to put you the on the least spot, surprising Adam, thing that Peter like it's the least surprising thing to learn about Peter Bart that he would do that, <laughs> um, like the least. Uh, two, um, I wish I could say that I think that this is a not just a trade issue, but I think that like there's always been a tension between at every place I've worked between a critics, whenever a critic uh, is particularly vicious to a movie and not even the other side of the, like not even the church and state separation, but like the edit, like there's the critical side and then there's the editorial side of a publication. Sure, sure. And often you find yourself writing about a movie and trying to talk to people who made the movie almost on top of when a critic has just roasted it and that can get, that can get dicey. Um, So I don't, I'll just say that I don't, uh, I I have a lot of empathy for everybody 
at Variety in 1992 when that was all going down. Um, I also like would just note that like John McTiernan, who directed the Hunt for October, could have directed this movie and declined because he because his of his, his Irish heritage it made him uncomfortable. He wanted to do Clear and Present Danger instead. Yes. Yes, and and uh, then Philip Noyce was brought in to. to and Philip Noyce was brought in. Yeah, I you know I, I think that what I like about this story, uh, you know how much truth, who knows what happened exactly, obviously, but um, the the leaking of the letter is crazy to think about. Like to think that like someone leaked this internal letter that Peter Bart had like it all just feels so like oddly um I don't know it, it's just it, it it's you don't get stuff like this anymore because everyone is obviously so um there's so much synergistic what have you and everyone is kind of talking to everybody and tweets and this that and like it all just kind of feels as though there's very little kind of stuff that's kept under people's well, uh, yeah. I would say not to make a wild extrapolation but sure exactly do that um i would say that um it it sort of is representative of one of the reasons why uh studios don't make movies like this anymore mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. every time it's it not every time but a lot of the times that a studio wades into into current geopolitics somebody's going to get mad and sure. um you know it's it's interesting that um, I, you know, in all of the things that I read about Clear and Present Danger, there was no constituency for uh, people from Colombia protesting about the representation of Colombian yeah. drug cartels yeah. in the way that there might have been, there was a, a constituency represent, like angry about the representation of, of sure. uh, people from Northern Ireland. So, um, you know, it, it's, perhaps why whenever studios have leaned into geopolitics, they tend to to go into directions where the bad guys have no political constituency. And that's becoming harder and harder to accomplish. So it's becoming harder and harder to make a movie about something happening now where you're not pissing somebody off and people are just so averse to like no, like no studio wants to, like studios don't want to piss off anybody now well look and at talk so, maverick i mean yeah that's it hey that is that is that is a cutting edge geopolitical thriller about our fight i love talk good maverick but like i don't I know who they're too. fighting yeah no it's i was thinking i was thinking the fighting like, the, they're fighting the the asshole architect who created a bunker yeah. inside yeah. The most ridiculously cave. designed yeah, mount, right. like cave mountain situation. Perfect. That's no notes. I just realized this. How come American Tenet, the Christopher Nolan movie, kind of have the same plot? Like, <laughs> not. I mean, obviously, one has time travel and one has planes, but like, you know, you, yeah. you get into the bunker with time travel or you get into it with planes. Yeah. Either way. Either way. Yeah. I So um, there's a, a couple other things that I just wanted to mention that I think are interesting. Uh, there's a line in the trailer for Patriot Games where someone says there's never been a, a terrorist attack on American soil uh, that was removed from the theatrical release because it sounded too much like an invitation or a dare. <laughs> 
Well, um, when was the, and then and the World Trade Center first bombing was ninety three. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and Oklahoma City's ninety five. So yeah. Yeah. Um. Thanks, also, Paramount. <laughs> well, they, I mean, I doubt the trailer for Patriot Games was what these people needed as an invitation. But, but, but and yet here we sit. <laughs> What if what if that's what just like really stuck <laughs> in one of your crosses? Set them over the edge. Um, at the end of this film, uh, and we will talk about the ending, Emily, when we get to it. But uh, I do think that uh, apparently Doctor Zalian uh, <laughs> is a uh, <laughs> a tribute to Stephen Zalian, who did an uncredited rewrite on this film. Um, for what that's worth, um, so I I I, I kind of want to just we'll jump around a little bit because like really ultimately there's not. Um, we've we've hit on some of the plot of this film, but ultimately, you know, the movie opens with this. Yes, Emily, sorry, you look. Like I want to be clear. We mm. have been discussing this movie, and I keep taking us on tangents because that's what I do on this show. But like, I watched this movie. I enjoyed this movie. We keep discussing it. I keep being like, I like that scene. I don't remember this movie at all. Like, you'll mention the thing, and I'll be like, I, I remember know. that happening. But I it's know. just like it kind of just like rolled right off of me. It's it just rolled like, right off of me too, and I was surprised at how. Um, so we've, we talked about this a little bit Adam and I before we got on mic but like this movie feels very emblematic of sort of lo-fi action thrillers of the kind of late 80s early 90s yeah, that, yeah. that you know the 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 moment it, I thought we talked about that on mic were we on mic? Like maybe we were on mic maybe it was the first thing we talked about my apologies um, I think I, I describe it as peak your parents going to the movies cinema. Yes. Like this is yes. this is a movie yes. that your parents go to and you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and your mom summarizes it to you and you're like, what's the IRA? And she's <laughs> like, oh, well. It just, it's, I, I, I physically remember so many kind of like fragments of this film back when I was a kid. I remembered the sort of that, that first, um, the first the 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 attempt on the lives of these British uh, members. Um, I think it's a great sequence. What I like about this movie is that there are set pieces, but they don't feel like set pieces because they're dialed down because we were making yeah. movies in ninety two. So it all kind of feels very grounded, but it also kind of makes it it flattens it out a little bit, if that makes sense. So it all kind of feels homogenous. See, that's the thing that I love. Right. When, okay. when I when I said earlier that that I felt like this was sort of a perfect encapsulation of what it wanted to do, part of it is that it goes down easy. Sure. It, it comes out easy. <laughs> I just I just when I started the metaphor, I had to finish the metaphor. You had to, you had to finish it. <laughs> and I and I apologize to everyone. I'm sorry to everyone. No, it's great. I, I, I understood I, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but it like it, the fact that it rolls off of you is sort of like part of the appeal to me. Like not every entertainment you watch has to like sit with you, but it has to be engaging and you have to sort of be invested in it. And I was engaged and I was invested and then it was over and I was like, okay, I'm going to go. There see. is something very and I know that this is a word that has sort of a negative connotation, but there is something very simple or, or simplistic about this movie in the sense that it's very clean, right? You've got a guy, he stops an assassination attempt in the process, bad guy's brother is killed, bad guy wants to get revenge. Like that is ultimately the movie and everything well, else also, is just kind it, of 
jazz hands. It's also a bit of a process movie. Oh, in yeah. that it keeps it shows you the Hollywood version of how they do all of, like how the yeah. CIA operates, how mm-hmm. the IRA operates, and in ways that you're sort of like you feel like you're learning things, whether <laughs> you actually are or not. You feel like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that's how they did that. And get, like this is they we they tried to recreate this sequence in Clear and Present Danger, and it didn't work as well for me. And it was even the same James Horner. Yeah. music i think which also p.s this is also part of why it's like a like a peak 92 movie is it has like the like perfect this kind of movie james mm-hmm. horner score mm-hmm. um the whole sequence where harrison ford is trying to like like they have all of these different disparate pieces as they're trying yeah. to find sean miller but they're they can't quite put it together and this is where the sort of like analyst nerd stuff kicks in where he's like just sort of like thinking and he gets up and he goes to splash water on his face and the, he ends up, he's actually in the women's bathroom and, um, and which, the, which is so unnecessary. You could have had him see her yeah. hair outside in a, in a different context, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, so, you know, like the ponytail whip and it's like, they even call out how absurd the like logic leaps he's making are. Sure. But I just love that shit. I love. I just, it's like, amazing how much I of this movie that. hinges on Polly Walker's wig. Like it is, yeah. it's crazy to me. First of all, why she's wearing a wig most of the time is anytime also kind she's of out bad. in public. Anytime she's out in public, she's wearing a wig so that when she's so they can't connect her to being the IRA. I think. <laughs> Which is, I me, think. Just think about what you just said out loud. <laughs> Hey, I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm just saying that's what it is. No, I I know. I just, to me, it's like I was watching this movie. You've got Polly Walker at one point seducing this guy and killing him. And she takes off her wig. And I was like, what was the, why did we need the wig? And then like the wig is a major part of this plot. Like this entire movie hinges on it. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I mean, it's great. I'm not complaining. But it is it's, it's it's it is a good wig in the history um, of Hollywood wigs. It's it is it is on the top half of them. Sure, there've been a lot think, of bad Hollywood wigs, is what I'm saying. This movie has a deep bench of character actors. Yes, uh, from the '90s: James Earl Jones, um, Sean Bean, uh, Sam Jackson. Right before Jurassic Park, right? I mean, we're we're on the cusp of Sam Jackson becoming Samuel Jackson um he, you know he, a thankless role in this movie basically doesn't really get to do very much or make much of an impression he's the friend he's the buddy yeah he's fine he's the buddy who who has the one jokey moment yes and then it's it's like the he ha, he serves a sort of action function in the in the final act yes like it's, um, it's, it's the part that samuel jackson has been playing different versions of for years years yes. um emily i don't know if you know this but we we I actually do. <laughs> Damn it. Um, this we were doing back to back Ted Raimi movies. <laughs> Ted Raimi opens Candyman. He is the yes. guy in the beginning of Candyman, uh, yes. and he is a he's a CIA technician in this film. He barely um, has any lines, but he's like he, there. He is there. This it's around this time as as we're as uh, Jack Ryan is trying to piece together Polly Walker's identity 
that we have arguably one of the best lines in the film that that Emily texted me. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about this? I, I this is why I have this is why I have the Harrison Ford impression. <laughs> just so to Harrison Ford is like a looking at a screen. He's just like looking at a thing at a photo or something, and he just leans forward and looks right in the camera and he goes, "Tits." <laughs> he just says the word "tits," and you're like, <laughs> "It is." so ridiculous it is it is so this is the thing about jack ryan as as a character as a as a universe whatever it there is no joy it's so joylessness there's no fun in these movies because they take themselves so goddamn seriously that you've got like jack ryan grumbling tits and it's not even like meant to be funny it's meant to be like serious i just don't understand what's going on it's uh the jack ryan whole whole, jack ryan's whole deal has the air of like your dad has a friend who works at langley who got you a tour and you'd better not crack jokes (laughs) mister it is just it's just that. It's... It is that. It's crazy. <laughs> um, you also have a line that is so painfully earnest, which I don't know if you guys remember. Is it also tits? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, it is uh, James Earl Jones. They're in like a um, a conference room and they're talking about uh, uh, whether or not they should go on this mission, essentially. And Jack Ryan says something along the lines of like, you know, someone asked him if he's 100% certain and, and James Earl Jones says, Jack, tell me something that's 100% certain. And Jack says, my daughter's love. Now, before I was a parent, that line is just the corniest thing you've ever heard. As a parent, I it's was like... still the corniest thing you've ever heard. I, I, don't, I don't care. It got me. I cried. Oh I got God. a little teary. I know it's corny. It's, it is, it is a fucking curse. You have a kid and suddenly someone in a movie will be like the worst movie you've ever seen. Yes. It'll be like a movie about like Vladimir Putin and he'll be like, well, yes, but I love my child who can't relate to the love of a tiny baby. And I'll be like, I can relate to, I have a tiny baby, Vlad. I do. Yeah, it's true. It's like, it, it really, uh, it it does it is a curse because like you 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 just don't you just don't have any control anymore over like totally and that's the one time in the movie where it feels like Harrison Ford is playing an idea instead of a guy um, absolutely but um, I also wanted to just shout out really mm-hmm. quickly um, there's a lot of great character actors in this um, the one that I was most excited about. Um, was uh ellen gear okay oh yeah <laughs> who plays like you have no ellen idea Gere. i'm looking up ellen gear right now okay um okay. she plays yeah. rose who is the sort of older yes, woman yes yes welcome yes, yes, yes. to back she's great to the yeah she's great she um <clears throat> this is a star trek nerd alert oh, great okay she has a standout episode of star trek the next generation where called it's the episode silicon avatar it's about the crystalline entity if you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about i'm not going to bother going into it because okay. we've already gone into many tangents but it's a it's like it's you know a spec like a guest star she's the main person episode she's incredible in it and um when I, I think I saw this movie, if I didn't see it in the theater, I saw it like maybe my parents rented it and they let me watch it with them. That sounds more likely what happened. 
because um, I think I saw it young. And when she came on screen, all of a sudden I got a lot more interested. <laughs> because the, it was the actor from the episode of Star Trek That Restoration that I love so much. So uh, that has always stayed in my head. I did not see this until yesterday, but um, I can imagine that happening to me when uh, Broadway legend Bob Gunton shows up for like two <laughs> two lines. And on I would have just I would have just turned to someone I was with and been like, he's from the original cast of Evita. And they would have been like, yes, of course, of course, Bob Gunton. <laughs> so as we mentioned, you know, th- this movie has a relatively simple story, uh, which is that Sean B's character essentially wants revenge um, and will stop at nothing to get it. Uh goes all the way to the United States in order to find Jack Ryan and his family, um, goes as far as to pull out an Uzi on a highway to try to shoot Ann Archer and, and, uh, and their child. Uh, a, a great sequence. Like, again, great car chase. Um, you've got to love stuff that just feels so tactile. Like, it just, we just don't, we don't get that stuff anymore. Um, Ann Archer. I, mean, I, love the, I love the part where, where Harrison Ford's trying to call her and yes. she's on hold. Yes. And then he calls. This is also one of those things where it's like, is this a thing? Could you? Yes. I know what you're about to say. Where he calls the, he, he calls the operator. He's like, I'd like to make an emergency breakthrough. <laughs> now, first of all, is that a thing? Can, <laughs> could, could one have ever done that? But second, when she's, uh, he's like, yes, it's a mobile phone. What do you mean I can't? Like, it was like, like, <laughs> Just those three ideas in rapid succession. It was so crazy. Like, it, it, it certainly ratchets up the tension of he's got to get to her. He's trying to reach her. She can't like, and she's still on hold. And it's like, why can't she get off the phone? And like, we need an extra beat because it's not just that he can't reach her. He's got to try something else. What uh-huh. can he do? I don't know. Let's, let's pretend there's such a thing as an emergency breakthrough. I just, I, I don't know. I just, it was, I I thought the exact same thing. I was like, was that ever a thing? Like, is there, is there the possibility of doing that? Every time, every time I go to my therapist's office and I'm in crisis, I say, I need an emergency breakthrough. So I assume (laughs) that's actually, you can't like you, you were able to do that. Like, I grew up in a small enough rural area where like that was a thing. And um, yeah, well, you would have, I mean, you'd have to be like with the authorities, but you could basically just like the phone operator would just patch you in over the call. That's incredible. I just imagine quite honestly, if I had that power, I would abuse it all the time. If I was, (laughs) if I was president, that's all I would do. I would just, us break into people's phone calls that's why i'm not pressed it's a it's a great scene but i want to just take a second to talk about ann archer who i feel is always just ann archer like is always this role am i crazy when i say that because i feel like i mean fatal attraction that she just feels like she's the wife she's like a a a good wife and not just the wife but like what the the one beat that I will say felt the least real to me and the most ninety two in this in a in a weird way mm-hmm. is after the opening action sequence where he's rushed in and he's been shot yeah. and then she comes in she's like I'm a doctor I'm a, that's my husband I'm going to treat him yeah. and they're in the hospital she any spouse would have read him the riot act for doing that like how dare you yeah with our daughter just there don't ever do that again like something along those lines 
And she's like, I understand. She's very understanding. I understand. Like and like and the in the sequence earlier where he forgets to get like champagne mm-hmm. to like I think it's even their anniversary, maybe. Yes, it is. And he forgets to do any of that. She orders the champagne and he's like, I'm sorry I didn't do it. And she's like, It's okay. What just one of us had to like she, it's like the most it's like crazy. understanding, like totally doesn't get mad about anything. Just like of, Emily. Yeah. When I, I got to get when I got together with Jack Ryan on Tinder or whatever I did that <laughs> on, and he was like, I have the two things, and one of them was Settlers of Catan Night. I leave him that, and the other was Saving the World. And I was like, Whatever you need to do, <laughs> you save that world. It's it's a crazy thing, and I do feel a little bad because Ann Archer, you know, she's a, she's a fine actor, so I don't, I don't really have a problem with her. But I do feel like she just is continually emotional wallpaper to these like overtly sort of strong men. Um, great nineties hair in this ve- great amazing nineties hair. hair. This all kind of leads up to essentially like the last half an hour of this movie is th- at their house. Um, and it's basically just they're having this dinner and then the bad guys show up and they turn off all the power in their house. And it's like, yeah, sorry. Oh, so this is the this is the other thing about the uh, original book that I have to talk about okay. um, because it is crazy, <laughs> crazy. So in the original book, yeah. both the attack uh that that uh the the first attack where he's where they cause the wife's uh car to crash mm-hmm. and this attack at their house mm-hmm. it's n- in the book it's not just the ira ryan um <clears throat> sean miller recruits the assistance of an african-american domestic terrorist terrorist group known as the movement so in both of these sequences it's not just the ira it's these like completely radical. made up radical black terrorists uh helping them out like it doesn't sound great talk about like i cannot if that book came out like even 5 years later let alone now it would have just been destroyed just it's like such an 80s artifact it's insane such a reagan era artifact that idea I just it, like when I saw that I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" I, I mean, if any of our listeners need to sort of really get a sense of Tom Clancy, just look up a picture of him. Just, just, <laughs> just Google him because he's definitely wearing. I mean, Tom Clancy would have been MAGA. Let's just put it that way. But I, 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 I do think that. So, this movie had a different ending, which was far less. Um, action-packed let's just say it ultimately ended with like basically a fist fight on the on the shoreline between sean and jack ryan um and the test audiences didn't love it so they ponied up like gotta be a couple million dollars to do this quite frankly amazing boat chase action sequence that i think is phenomenal to watch i mean and the way it's shot is just amazing it you're you are truly like how did they get this footage it looks amazing. Um, they do a great job. A great sort of fight scene that sort of evolves, despite the fact that uh, Ebert didn't like it. I thought it was pretty great. Obviously, Sean Miller dies. His boat explodes when you know when he's stabbed by some weird pointy object that he 
sort of you know throws himself the anchor. on. Oh, is that an anchor? That's oh, the anchor. That makes sense. Okay. Um, I like how you sound like you're trying to like plumb the lore here. Just being, <laughs> and it's you know, it's part of the. What's just part of like the Ryan verse lore, which I don't know very well. <laughs> but all, all this being said, um, big action sequence, blah blah blah. Sean Miller dies. <laughs> Jack Ryan <clears throat> lives. Yada yada yada. But. The movie ends on the best scene. So Emily, Emily texts me after she finishes the film and she's like, best scene in the movie. And I was like, but it's from a different movie. It doesn't feel like it's from this movie. I'm going to let Emily explain what happens at the end of this film. So throughout the film, the, the film opens with, uh, with, uh, God, I've already forgotten. Anne, Anne Archer, Archer yeah. telling her husband, Jack Ryan, I'm pregnant. It's well, very first, exciting. No, first it opens with the conception. Oh, the concept, them, that's right. That's like, right. That's right. They, they bone. Yeah. And then we're led to believe certain period of time this later. Is true. This that is true. Boning okay. yes. was I forgot. It's Pregnant very hard too. for yeah. me to see my husband with his first wife, but I, I accept it. Um, okay. It's. Uh, so she tells uh, him yeah. she's pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And they already have Thora Birch as their child. We haven't really talked Precocious about her. She's, Thora she's Birch. giving she's a very good child performance, whatever. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And. So throughout the film, it's like, oh, are we going to have a girl or a boy? And Thora Birch is like, I, you know, oh, do I want I want a sister or I don't want a brother, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. It's like a little runner. The last scene of the film, Ann Archer's on the phone with the doctor. Doctor's and alien. she's yeah. she's she's like, hey, do you want to do you want to know the, the, the sex of the child? And she asks Harrison uh, and Thora. She asks Harrison Ford to. that, and then he's like, "Hey, Thora Birch, what do you think about yeah. this?" And they like do this. And they like have they go back and forth. They kind of exchange glances. And Archer's like, "I'm on the phone. He's <laughs> waiting." And finally, Thora Birch like nods a little, and then Harrison Ford nods a little, and then Ann Archer's like, "Okay, we'd like to know." And then the film ends. <laughs> And so, of course, I immediately started, it's such a good cliffhanger, I immediately started watching Clear and Present, no, uh, Clear and Present Danger, I spoiled myself, they have a boy named Jack boy. Ryan Jr., yeah. and that boy grew up to be John Krasinski. <laughs> it's, it's a cute scene, don't get me wrong, and, and I found myself, for reasons that I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, was genuinely curious as to the gender of their child, like I was like, I wonder if they're having a boy or a girl. <laughs> and then they don't, they rob me of that. It literally smashes to black. She's like, thank you. Hangs up the phone, looks at them kind of, you know, mischievously, and then just credits roll. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? This is how Philip, you ended this movie? Philip Noyce. If Philip Noyce wanted us to consider that gender is a myth, go ahead. That's true. Ahead. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, thank you. I, I, <clears throat> I was not going to say anything quite as profound. What I was going to say is, um, <laughs> To me, it was the one moment of agency that Ann Archer's character was afforded. She's with the whole thing. We got to decide whether we all learned. I appreciate that. That's good. You know, sex assigned at birth was going to be. Yes. I I do think this is indicative of the ways in which movie franchises have changed. Because at this point in time... Like Jack Ryan, every movie, he's going to have a new adventure. There's not like accumulating lore because the lore is just like Ireland exists. And you're like, yes, I know, of course. Um, (laughs) But like 
so you don't have this like rich like rogues gallery or whatever so all of the serialization is in his personal life so his wife and his kids have to be like important characters to some degree so a thing like this is the sort of thing that like is the juice that gets you to the next movie it's why the cliffhanger works even though it seems like it's from a different movie entirely whereas like now you you kind of can't do that you know like you couldn't end um captain america new world order with like a character waiting to find out the sex assigned at birth of their child like you just it's just not gonna because movies don't work in the same way now there's just so much you have to keep on top of where and i think that's part of why jack ryan has not translated very well to the 21st century because the second you're like trying to give him like a whole bunch of serialized whatever it just it doesn't work because he's so wedded to a particular geopolitical sure. time and place. Do you think though? Yes. That like if one of the Twilight movies, the Twilight kind of pulled this shit though. Like I, I I know what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but like Twilight literally like the second one ends with her being like, maybe I'll marry him. <laughs> like it's kind of doing stuff like that. Phil. <laughs> Are you trying to compare <laughs> yeah, an adaptation am, of a Tom Clancy novel <laughs> with an adaptation of a of a book series about werewolves and vampires? I mean, yeah. I, okay. I just I, I guess I'm speaking more to the, the idea that I don't necessarily disagree with Emily's hypothesis. I think she's I think she's right. But I guess my point is more that these type of little character nuggets, these soapy things still kind of exist in franchises. That's all. I think, I mean, we're talking about YA where one of the buy-ins is often which which boy is she going to kiss? You know, like that is even a more plot heavy uh, franchise like Hunger Games has that element. Mm -hmm. And like, granted, they don't build the cliffhangers off of that in that franchise, but like so I do think it's 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 inherent to the genre there in a way it isn't with with Tom Clancy. Yeah. Also, I thought you were gonna you thought you were talking about Renee's May, uh, uh, Bella and Edward's child from Twilight: isn't Breaking it, Dawn Part it, Two. I don't think it's 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 Renee's May, right? Renee's May. Okay. All right. It's been it's been it's been a while since you know I did my annual Twilight rewatch, but um, <laughs> the. Uh, I thought you were just talking about what if a Tom Clancy novel had a, a, the child of two vampires who ages unnaturally fast. And she's just like in a book about like, you know, like the, the, uh, the rebels, the Chechen rebels or something. <laughs> I'd read that. Um, so I, I, I want to rate this film because I'm curious, uh, Adam, if you've seen the film that we're talking about next week um, and if you have thoughts on it. Um, so um, I saw this film in 92, as I mentioned. Um, in 92 at 12, I think I probably would have given this film a 60. I think I was pretty bored. Um, didn't really understand what was going on. Um, so yeah, watching this the other day, it went up in my esteem. I put it at like a, I put it at like a 72. Um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to hold it like a 74. I feel like I, I like this film fine. I don't imagine I'll ever watch it again. And in the sort of Harrison Ford oeuvre, it's in the middle. Like, I don't, I don't. And this is, this is up to. 99, zero to 99. 99, Yeah. So not 92. Not 92. I feel like that'd be confusing. The title of our show is a lie, is, is just to be clear. (laughs) Anyway. Um, So Adam, where, where do you fall on this film? I think 
I don't think my opinion's changed on it. I think from I think it's stayed pretty consistent, and I I would put it like at eighty. Oh wow! Well, okay. Yeah, I think like no higher though. Like I think it's it like you know it is in what I was saying earlier about how it's like the perfect example of a very specific kind of solid entertainment mm-hmm. um, that delivers exactly what it, it wants to and gives you the experience you want in the theater and then mm-hmm. dissipates from your brain Absolutely. Yeah. very soon after. But you don't feel like you were eat, consuming anti-calories as you were <laughs> watching it. I think that so that 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 gets to an eighty for me, and I think I don't know what the kid version of me would have necessarily said. Um, uh, I remember being in, interested in it, though. Um, I'd have to ask my parents though if I was bored. But like er, the times that I've revisited it since, now I will say, yes, I think the Hunt for Red October is a much better movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and um, I think that that movie has stayed with me. I think it's about more than just giving you a good time, and like, so to compare that, like that's like an eighty nine ninety movie for me. Like that's like you you cannot get much better than that kind of like uh, as an example. And that is like the also the daddiest dad movie. Like, my father is obsessed with submarines. Oh, okay like as a kid and to this day um so he was like super i saw that with my dad and with my grandfather um at the same like we we went to the theater to see it i remember doing that very much so maybe i did see patrick games in the theater i'm just <laughs> I, like, I like that we're going on this journey i'm schooling my memory now <laughs> i just in real time to you both perfect but um uh so you're at an 80 that's where I'm at an 80, holding. and okay. like okay. it, as a point of comparison, like Hunt for Red October is like an 89, and Clear and Present Danger is like a 60. Oh wow, okay, okay, yeah. Emily, where where are you on uh, Patriot Games? Uh, I love Hunt for Red October. I, I'm mm-hmm. just going to concur there. Um, I'm going to start with the 90s queer phobia scale, uh, which mm-hmm. is just uh, ranking movies from the 90s in terms 1992 in terms mm-hmm. of how queer phobic they are, 10 being the most and zero being the least. I'm going to give this movie a four. There's no like real overt queer phobia, but you can just sort of tell that this is a world where queer people don't exist at all. And that's. Oh, no, I, I would disagree with you. Okay. I think, I think the officious uh, assistant who's the turncoat of the, <laughs> um, uh, and, and the book right. and the, and the rare bookstore owner yes. are, were ex lovers. Okay. And Ken and I did in my head. Watching okay. it the most recent time. Are you time. writing fanfic? Patrick I think fanfic? I and honestly, Emily, this is your influence. I, I think I rewatched it yesterday being like, if I was Emily, how would I interpret this 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 situation? I think honestly <laughs> that's what I did. And um and that's only from listening to you on podcasts, frankly. But like <laughs> the because uh, we just met on this particular episode, even though I've read you for forever. Any event. Um, I, I, the headcanon I did was that the, that the reason that the, there was a connection between the rare bookstore owner uh-huh. and this assistant who, you know, there's the old, the old axiom, is he British or is he gay? <laughs> I think that they were there. I think they were both. I think they were ex-lovers. So I think they're lovers now. And I think their relationship was somehow leveraged against both of them to help the IRA. That was the headcanon I did. I like it. To make the connection 
make sense because it's never Listen. really explained how this assistant is connected to this whole larger web. And so that's, that was the, that was the work I did in my own head. Does that affect well, listen, your I, queer phobia? I got, uh, I got, Rachel? I got to knock it back to a three because this is a rich and nuanced portrayal of the ways that queer relationships struggled to gain like notice Fraction. from the public yeah. at large, yeah. and then also like when they were over, you know what? What? How could you mark them? Well, you could get blackmailed by an intelligence agency into, or a terrorist organization rather, into supporting the IRA. So, like, yeah, yeah. this is really a progressive take. That's interesting. I think it's what I'm saying. <laughs> how does the film rank otherwise for you well here's the problem is again i don't remember this movie at all every I, we have talked about this movie and we just talked about a, a, the yeah. two characters yes who were in the movie and i've already forgotten who they were um no i i put this just below single white female on my mm. rankings on letterbox which everyone can go look at mm -hmm. and i gave single white female famously and honestly a 69 and uh I can't, I can't i came to that number honestly and then when i said it i was like i see what i did there so um yeah i think i i think i have to go 68 i had a good time watching okay. this movie it's just it's just too straight to be a 69 you know it just it just is <laughs> so i i'm next week we are covering. Um, have you seen the film Stay Tuned, Adam? Is that a movie that you that you know or have heard of? Is that the one with? Uh, um... Yes, it is. It is the movie with uh, Jason Ritter. Yeah, I John Ritter. Uh, sorry, John Ritter. My apologies. John Pam Ritter. Dauber, Jeffrey Jones. And they're stuck uh, in Eugene Levy. Shows, right? Yeah. yeah. Basically, it's about a suburban couple who are sucked into a television world by an emissary of hell, and they must survive for twenty four hours in order to be released from it. I've never seen it. I remember this movie because I remember seeing a trailer and actually it upsetting me pretty deeply when I was 12 and just feeling like I wasn't sure how to process this. We have um, Louis Peitzman coming on to talk about it with us. Louis. Um, Louis, uh, sorry. Um, wow. My apologies. Uh, he, he's, he, he's, he, I, I, I am, I, I, when there was a time when he was touchy about that. Okay. Well, I'm, I appreciate that. And that's his it issue. Yeah. I feel like if you, if you have a name that's, that it could be pronounced as Louis or Lewis, you have to live with the, with people. Yes. Lewis Peitzman is coming on the podcast yeah. to talk about this. This was a film that um, he picked. Uh, it was at the, uh, at the top of his list of films that he wanted to talk about from 1992. Um, I think this was a, a, a real movie for him as a child. Emily, have you seen Stay Tuned? First of all, I want to tell you, you can always call me M-O-Y. Um, okay. But cool. uh, cool. uh, I have not seen this movie. I really wanted to see it. This is one of the movies, I, and it came and went from theaters. It was a huge flop. The reason I really wanted to see is I liked the idea of getting sucked into a television, and I was a huge Pam Dauber stan. So, like, <laughs> that, we're going to unpack all that. I, had, um, I will say, um, I, I, first of all, I have not seen this movie. Mm -hmm. second of all i had i this movie had passed me by without my realizing it existed sure and then a couple years ago with mark harris the first time i convinced mark harris to do screen drafts <laughs> was doing an episode of where it was movies about television and this was on the sort of long list of movies to look at and i just didn't get to it <laughs> did he, and what did I, an appearance on the draft I, 
No, it did not. Um, not neither of us drafted. Like Mark didn't even bring it up. And I remember, I think I remember looking up at the time whether I could stream it or if I had to rent it. And I think at the time you couldn't stream it. I look. I just now saw that it's currently mm-hmm. on uh, Amazon Prime. It is. Like congratulations right. to that movie. But I at the time, and so because I couldn't stream it, and there was a bunch of other movies on my list I had to get to, I I just didn't see it. So it is. Uh, I, yes, go ahead, Emily. Sorry. I I when you told me we were doing it, Phil, I did just cursory research and discovered there is an original soundtrack, which is has its own Wikipedia page and is available on Spotify. I listened to the soundtrack. I still haven't watched the movie, but I listened to the Stay Tuned soundtrack. So I so the <laughs> there is. The poster for this movie is 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 I remember it vividly because it scared me. The poster is essentially uh, John Ritter and Pam Dauber uh, shackled to chairs uh, with a with a sort of um, uh, wheel of fortune thing behind them, trapped, imprisoned inside a television set, <laughs> while their children and their dog. <laughs> So I'm ready. I'm I'm excited. I, quite honestly. I I I love when you pitched this show to me and when you were like, "Hey, what 1992 movies do you want to do?" I I said one movie, and it's like genuinely one of the most unsettling films ever made. I'm not going to say what it is because yeah. eventually we're going to talk about it. And I'll reveal what that is. One of the most unsettling films ever made. And I was like, I got to do this one. And you were like, "Really, that one?" And now you're revealing you were scared by the poster of Stay Tuned. So. I mean, this is the thing that I think, Adam, I've probably told this to you. I mean, I'm, I was uh, a, a scaredy cat as a kid. I mean, I still am to a, in a lot of ways. So, like, I was very impressionable, and I spent a lot of time in video stores. Um, so, as a kid, and I th- I'm sure you guys had this too, right, where you'd be walking down the aisles, and those video box arts were very arresting, right? Like, that was the whole point, to get people to watch these movies. And whenever I was in the horror aisles, there's still burned in my brain some of those box art. And and Stay Tuned was just one of those that stayed with me. Um, listen, uh, Candyman freaked me out. I didn't love it, but I lived through it. And, you know, we'll keep going. What, what was the worst video case for you? And have you watched that film? You know, I knew you were going to ask. I had a feeling you were going to ask me that. You know, I... The the one that do you remember? Or have you guys ever seen the movie Ghoulies? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The Ghoulies art of the, of of him crawling out of the toilet. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Ghoulie kind of pulling himself out of the toilet. Yeah, that one that one kind of stayed with. I, I I just I remember as a child thinking a lot about is there a Ghoulie in my toilet? That's going to be our Halloween special. <laughs> the one for me. I, this is a very basic bitch answer, but it was all the Hellraiser movies for me. Sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, just yeah. Not, yeah. not like I was. Al- I was already a scaredy cat. There was no way that sure. I was going to be a person who was going to get into horror. But that very much was like repelled yeah. me in how yeah. upsetting it was to look at. So yeah. a lot of those. I mean, I, I mean, truthfully, Evil Dead Two. Anything that had. I was just. Um, I hated things turning into things. I hated like super. Ironically or not, I hated supernatural stuff. I didn't have a problem with like your Jasons and 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 your you know your um, what's the uh, Mike Myers like all that stuff because it was very kind of like 
which is basic. It was a guy with a knife and whatever. It was the idea that like something could turn into something or that some sort of a creature was going to come for that shit just did not fly for me. Um, and and with Stay Tuned, it was the idea of being trapped inside a television set seemed like a prison. Um, but I've created my own prison for myself, working in television. You, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, you, like, you just basically like laid out your entire professional origin story there. Yeah, well, you... You mentioning, you mentioning you didn't like supernatural things just had me imagining your mom visiting the set for Sleepy Hollow. And as like the headless horseman gallops at camera, she says, he has to control it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, listen, uh, it's like uh... Mitzi Fableman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mother is a real Mitzi Fableman, let me tell you. Um, that was a I bad think... Mitzi Fableman impression. I'm so sorry to Michelle no, Williams and Steven Spielberg's mom. <laughs> Um, Adam, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Patriot Games with us. Thank, thank you so much for having me. This was a, this was an absolute delight. We will, we we can't wait to have you back. I have your name next to a bunch of other movies, some of yes. which I've never heard of, and I'm excited to talk about them. Okay. Well, there, um, there's one that's much, 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 much gayer. So I think that's the one I've never heard of. Yeah. Is it is Swoon? Is this the movie yes. that you were referring to? Yes. Oh, so okay. I'm excited to talk about it. I I, I can't wait. Um, but you're the best where can people find you they can find you on twitter right they can find me on twitter for now uh, <laughs> uh at adam be very uh you can find me on instagram at adam be very plus mm. uh which i i'm not particularly active there but it is it, but it is it exists because sure. i'm just we're all just sort of waiting for the house of cards that is twitter to finally fully crumble yeah. crumble and, class. and they can read your your articles on they variety. can read all, everything that you can read for of mine uh that's new is on variety.com amazing uh do you have a new article that just came out or one that's coming out soon or uh depends on when this goes about? live it'll be in may, in may. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't i've not well, planned my apologies yeah um, thank you so so Probably much. Probably something having to do with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, something which I'm like, I'm legitimately unreasonably excited for. So I, I, I mean, me can't can't. Wait. I'm yeah. I I loved Volume Two. As I, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Adam, we can't wait to have you back. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.